going to read um, from the message today. It's a Palm Sunday, as uh, you heard earlier. It's a day of hope. And as we enter Holy Week, I want us to think a little bit about what, uh, what this week might mean to us as we prepare for the events of next weekend. So we're actually going to read from the message. I thought we'd all read together. Is that all right? Yes, John. Good. All right. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, words will appear on the screen. Uh, if you're the sort of person who prefers just to have it read to you, then by all means, listen. If you feel you can keep up and uh, you want to read it with me, then please do so. Uh, the message version, just to clarify, is a paraphrase. So it's not the actual Bible translated from the original languages. It is a paraphrase. And I say that because particularly in this part, in this passage from Philippians 3, some of the language uh, is definitely a paraphrase, but we'll come to that in a minute, all right? So here we go. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master, firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. Now, you never thought you'd say dog dung in church, did you? But you've just said it, all right? So anyway, come back to that. And I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead... I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it. But I am well on my way, reaching out from Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running And I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will make clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Wow. So that was Paul writing about what it is to have met Christ. And I want to start this little talk by asking, what is your hope and your expectation? Particularly as we enter into Holy Week, as we prepare for the events of Easter weekend, Good Friday to come, and obviously Easter Day. What is your hope and expectation? If you're a believer here this morning, if you know Jesus, what is your hope and expectation? If you're yet to make that decision to commit your life to Christ then what is your hope and expectation of what life might hold for you? And ultimately, what difference does it make to the way we live our lives? Let's pray together as we consider these words from Paul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this life-transforming story and message from Paul. Father, as we recognise his absolute total commitment to you and his 
loss of anything other than that is seeming as irrelevant, then Lord, it challenges us to consider what our hope and our expectation is and what we really care about and what we really prioritise. Lord, as you've reminded us this morning already, the wonder of the cross and what it brings. Lord, help us now to understand that, to apply it to our lives and to have the courage to respond, we pray. In your name. Amen. Amen. So it strikes me that there are three key ways that Paul suggests that we can ensure that we have hope for the future. And here we go. These are three ways that I hope we'll find helpful today and will prepare us for Holy Week. First off, we can know who we are. Paul says, compared to the very high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Everything that Paul once had going for him is now insignificant. What do we know about Paul? Well, we know that Paul was a scholar. He was a Pharisee. He was from that particular sect. And he was a popular religious teacher. He was probably at the top of his game. He'd have been trained right from a very young age, schooled in these things. He would have been of high Jewish standing. And we see that in the way that later he goes on to persecute the church. He's sort of the man to destroy the church. He's entrusted with that. So he's got a very high standing in Jewish society. But he says that all of that is rubbish. Dog dung, as it puts it in the message. It's all rubbish. It's all nothing compared to what I have in Jesus. I don't know if you noticed some of the words that we sang this morning. But we sang this earlier. Jesus, everything I've lost, I've found in you. Jesus, everything I've lost, I've found in you. What a brilliant choice of song to go with what we're talking about this morning. Everything I've lost, I've found in you. So do we mean it when we sing it? Do we really feel that? And you know, as Becky led us earlier, you know, as we come back to the cross again, it's that place this week. What an amazing opportunity this week is to again come back to the cross and think, do I mean it? Everything I've lost is nothing compared to what I've found now that I know Jesus. You see, I think in many ways this presents us with a challenge because society longs to know who we are, where we come from, what our qualifications are, our standing in society, if you like. And Paul says, well, actually, none of that matters. So actually, if I was a professor here today, it doesn't matter. If I'm unemployed here today, it doesn't matter. Whatever spectrum I'm on of, of achievement as the world sees it, none of, us mat- none of that matters because actually what matters is that we are in Christ now. And Paul suggests that that is so marvellous that everything else just pales into insignificance. Everything else pales into insignificance. So how does that sit with you as well? That sense that actually who you are and what qualifications you've got, what experience you've got, what you've achieved in life is actually nothing compared to who you are if this morning you know Jesus Christ. You know, I love the concept, but I've got to be honest with you, I have a bit of a problem with that as well. Because actually part of my identity is in who I am and where I've come from. And, you know, I love telling people my story. I could bore you silly with my story because that's who I am and where God has led me. And And actually all of that is nothing compared to actually the fact that when I stand before the cross, what I am first and foremost is a child of God. And folks, if you know Jesus this morning, then you are in that place where whatever the world says of you and whatever it refers to you as, whether you've achieved, whether you've not achieved, all of that, you have achieved in the sense that you are that child of God. And if you're here this morning, you're not yet in that position. 
then can I encourage you to just recognise what that would mean to actually say, yes, Jesus, I do want you. I do want you to be Lord of my life. Everything else doesn't matter. It's knowing you that does matter. You see, when we stand at the foot of the cross and we ask Jesus who we are, it's there that we know precisely who we are because it's who we are in him. You know, this summer I'll have been a Christian for 33 years. I was very young when I became a Christian, obviously. Um, I'll have been a Christian for 33 years. But on the 8th of August, 1984, as a 13-year-old young man, yes, do the maths, I knew that as I stood at the foot of the cross, I met the risen Jesus. And I knew what it was to have my sin forgiven. I knew what it was to have my life absolutely transformed. And I know, even as I stand here and talk about it, I feel what it was on that day to know Jesus and to commit my life to him. I know what it was. And you know what provoked that for me? A couple of weeks earlier, a couple of months earlier actually, somebody had just said to me one day after a service in our little church down in Lana, just outside of truth, he said to me, do you know Jesus personally, Jonathan? And to be honest, as a 12-year-old lad, I wasn't quite sure what he meant, so I sort of fudged some sort of idea. But that set me on that course of what does it mean to know Jesus personally? You see, that's what faith is about. It's not this religious type thing. It's not going into Holy Week and being all religious because it's Easter week. It's about the relationship that comes. So when someone says to you this morning, do you know Jesus personally? How do you answer that? It's the most critical question you could ever answer. Paul says, I forget everything that I've been because nothing compares to knowing Christ personally. Holy Week provides us with an opportunity. Will you use the opportunity of this week to travel towards the cross and into the resurrection by continuously coming back to the cross and saying, Lord, who am I? Do I know you personally? What does it mean? Because we need to know who we are. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. We need to know who we are. Secondly, we need to know whose we are. Paul says, I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally. It's amazing how things tie together, isn't it? It's a good sign that God is on the case. Becky said about the wonder of what we sung, that whole sense of a creator God who comes to us in the form of Jesus. The creator God who loves us so much that he becomes man. The creator God who is so awesome that he creates the universe and yet cares directly for you and for me and longs to be in a relationship with you and with me. The wonder of that. God of creation, the mighty God who loves you and wants to know you and wants to spend this week with you and progress towards Holy Week with you and with me. You see, Paul is not satisfied with second best. For him, there is no comparison. Jesus has turned his life upside down and everything else is just a waste of time. The change that Jesus brings is complete. And Paul is a stunning example of that. If you know Paul's story, then Paul began as Saul. And Saul was this religious Jew, as I said earlier, who was out to persecute the church, to destroy the church. But we know that he experienced forgiveness as so complete Because, if you read the New Testament, and goodness knows he wrote most of it, you'll notice that he never actually apologises for having persecuted the church. 
He never actually apologises for what he is best known before he comes to faith. And I think we can read some simple fact from that, and that is this, that Paul knows forgiveness so complete that he doesn't keep to keep harking on about what he was before. He knows completeness so forgive, he knows forgiveness so completely that he doesn't need to go back to what he once was. And you know, even that presents us with a challenge. Because even that presents us with the thought of, do you know, how much do we get stuck in saying, well actually I'm sorry for my past, I'm sorry for my past. You know, the cross and everything we celebrate this week says that that is wiped clean, that it is taken away, that it is resolved once and for all. The scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, he set our sins from us. So it's gone. It's gone. And folks, if you're here this morning and you're still stuck in that hole, but I'm still not sure I'm forgiven, I'm still not sure I deserve it, let me tell you one thing. Of course you don't deserve it. That's the idea of the cross, isn't it? All right? This Holy Week, let's move on from where we've been. Let's leave behind the past, knowing that it is exactly what it is. It is the past. When the devil reminds us of our past, let's remind him of his future. Let's focus on what is to come and what God has held us in. All of it is considered loss. I don't know what your experience of school sports days were like. I never actually competed in the high jump. You can think about that for a minute. I never really competed in many sports, to be perfectly honest. So I always got the long distance run for sports day. Do you remember that? Used to go on for about your life. Do you remember that one? Well, it did for me anyway. And I remember very clearly, the PE teacher would always say, whatever you do, never look back, always focus on where you're going. Remember that? Never look back, always focus on where you're going. Never look back to see where your opponents are. Well, to be honest, it was never a problem for me because most of my opponents were ahead of me anyway. But he was right. You know, if you look at athletes, even glancing over their shoulder slows them down. Folks, how many of us keep glancing over our shoulder? How many of us, instead of going forward, swing back and just say, gosh, we're back stuck there again? I want to give us an encouragement and a challenge this morning that this holy week, this week, we commit to read the Bible every day. We commit to read the Gospels and the story of Jesus heading from Palm Sunday through to Easter Day. It's not a great demand. If you read Mark's Gospel particularly, it's pretty short and sharp. But to read consistently through and to understand again what it costs for Jesus to come, to die in our place. Let's not live in the past. Let's not be haunted by our past. Let's know that forgiveness is complete. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally. We need to know who we are and we need to know whose we are. And picking up that theme of running forward then, finally I think Paul suggests this, that we need to live like we know where we're going. Live like you know where you're going. Paul says this, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. Paul says if we really seek Christ, then actually we'll know what we're called to. 
If we really seek to know him this week, then it will postpone anything that's stuck behind us and will forward us to where we should be heading. We will know where we're going. God will clear your blurred vision. I had blurred vision back in 2002 when I had major eye surgery. I had a corneal graft on my left eye. And it's the funniest experience to have eyesight problems because it's not that obvious to people. So for nine months following this operation, I had blurred vision uh, in my left eye as the cornea grew into my... I won't give you all the description in case you're a bit squeamish over eyes, but it was particularly special. And as that was going on, I had nine months where I couldn't drive. I could only really see out of one eye. I still wore specs, but the left lens was pretty much irrelevant because obviously my eye was different shape to what it was when the prescription had been given. So it's a funny condition in the sense that it's not seen, but I'm still looking the same. And I'm walking down the street, and people are waving to me, and of course I've got blurred vision, I can't really see who they are. So on some occasions I'm very aware of waving to people who I've never seen before in my life. On other experiences I would say, well I know what I'll do, I'll shut my left eye, and so then I started winking at random strangers walking down the street, you know? It wasn't going well. I was trying to cover it up. And in so doing, I was making a mess of it. But how many of us live life like that as well? We're trying to cover it up, and we're still making a mess of it. You know, there can be a pressure as believers that everything should be all right. Particularly in Cornwall, when the greeting is, how are you? I'm all right. Everything's all right. You know, when we follow Jesus through Holy Week, everything was far from all right. We go from the adulation and exaltation of Palm Sunday to only a few days' time the cries of crucifying. But you know, the hope that that brings us is that we have a saviour who's not distant, who's not irrelevant. We have a saviour who knows what it is to suffer way beyond anything we can possibly imagine. We have a saviour who knows what it is to struggle We know what it is to have a saviour who actually understands that while it may look well on the outside, on the inside it may be very, very different. Folks, if you're not alright this morning, let's be honest with one another. Let's not be afraid as church to be honest between each other before God and to honestly take account of each other. Because some of us will be here this morning and we've attended church for a long time and we're all good at church, but actually on the inside the struggles and the pain and the questions may be overwhelming. Don't run from those questions. If we've got blurred vision, let's seek God to give us that clarity. But let's not be afraid to admit that we've got blurred vision as well. Let's, walk, let's not walk down the street run, waving to random strangers and winking at random strangers. Let's be genuinely honest with one another. I asked at the beginning of this little talk, what is your hope and expectation for your future? And I want to suggest that the way we answer that links directly to what we think about the cross. The way we answer that question about what hope and expectation we have directly relates to how we feel about Jesus Christ. You see, Holy Week shows us the pain and suffering of Jesus Christ, who loved us so much as to come and give his life. No longer the distant God, 
He's out there in Kushti land, if you like. But the Jesus who comes and suffers such pain, such physical pain, such spiritual pain, as he takes your sin and mine on him as he hangs on that cross this Good Friday. But you know what? He believed it to be worth it. He believed your life to be worth it. He believed your salvation to make it so worthwhile. So if you're a Christian here this morning, are you living your life in such a way that this hope and this expectation shines through? Yes, it may be tough right now. Don't be afraid of that. It may be tough right now. But you also know that God holds your future in his hands. And maybe here this morning and you're still stuck in the past. There are still things that haunt you. The cross has done it all. That salvation is complete. And if you're there thinking, but Lord, there's stuff I've done which is so wrong and so bad and if people in this church knew about it then come before the cross this morning look up at it look at Jesus hanging on the cross and go Jesus I don't think what you did was good enough to cover my mess my sin how ridiculous is that Jesus died to complete everything that needed to be completed But I also want to give you a challenge this morning. That if you're not a Christian this morning, that question I was asked at 12 years old, do you know Jesus personally? Each one of us has to answer that personally. Not, oh, I think my grandfather once was a vicar. Do you know Jesus personally yourself? You see, because the cross brings us life. But we have to respond to it. It's a gift that we're given, but we have to take it from him. Jesus came because he loved you so much that he would give his life that you might know him and enjoy eternity with him forever. Where have we got to this morning? Three challenges that I think Paul gives us from Philippians 3. That we should know who we are that we should know whose we are and therefore we should live like we know where we're going. This Holy Week, make it count. Don't drift along to next Friday and into Sunday. Make this week 